Hey, Mom Spaghetti listeners, Ananya Berla was one of my favorite interviews to date, and I'm so excited for you to hear the full conversation. The outstanding young woman is already a superstar and well beyond just in the world of music. The more I researched Ananya in preparing for the interview, the more I wanted to know, so I had a feeling that the conversation would last as long as it did. I was pleasantly surprised that Ananya is even more caring, kind, altruistic, grateful, and thoughtful than her activities would suggest. Beyond singing, she is really looking to leave a positive mark on society, starting up not one but two organizations in India to help make change. She has Svatantra, providing microloans to women in rural India, and also started Empower, a string of clinics in India to help fight against mental health and negative stigmas surrounding it. Oh, and she's gone platinum multiple times. Casual, you know? So yeah, she's amazing. But luckily, you're about to find out. Here's the full interview. Ananya Berla, thank you so much for joining Mom Spaghetti. Thank you so much, Keith. It's an absolute pleasure. It's a pleasure being and talking to you. Yes, I'm so happy you were able to join us and set aside the time. I'm so appreciative, almost as appreciative as I am of your music. So I do want to get to the music, but the first question I have for you, Ananya, is for those listeners who aren't as familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself growing up in India, maybe where in India, and a little bit about your childhood? Totally. So I am born and raised in Bombay, which is now called Mumbai. That's where my upbringing was. That's where my family is. My family is very industrial. So for me to get into the entertainment industry was a little bit of a stigma. So while growing up, it was always like a secret dream. So I'd be in my room doing karaoke to my favorite song, which is Zombie by the Cranberries. I would imagine myself singing to loads and loads of people on stage. And, you know, it was all a fantasy. Until I went to the University of Oxford to study economics and management. When I went to Oxford, I had a great time. I made some great friends. But in my second year, I started having some really bad panic attacks. And I guess looking back now, retrospectively, it was probably because I realized that life is too short and I need to be doing what I love to do, which is I need to pursue music as my career. And so overnight, I just dropped out of Oxford. So from having a completely secure future, I just had nothing at all. But it was just intuitively, I just knew it. I just knew that this is what I wanted to do. I started gigging at clubs and pubs around London. So Camden, Brixton, places like that. Came back to India, started making my own music, started producing a little bit. And I started pitching to different people. Eventually, I got signed by Universal Music India, which was surprising and grateful and amazing because I happened to be the only singer singing in English music in India with two double platinums and four platinums. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. And I tend not to be very humble about that <laughs> you because shouldn't be. I am still very shook about it. And I think that it's something that anyone should be proud of because we made history, not just me, but the entire team. And that encourages me to now come to the West. So I've officially moved to LA. I have a home here now. I love it here. I love this town. It's now about taking the right steps to make it internationally. And what I mean is basically to ensure that my music reaches out to as many people as possible because music is my life. That's what I want to do. That's pretty much my life story summarized. <laughs> Excellent. So that gives a great overview. And then I have so many questions because you have such course, an interesting Keith. backstory. Thanks, Keith. I appreciate it. Of course. Ananya, the place that I would like to start is 
I was going to comment that you have great English, and then you used the word shook, and I was like, yeah, that's that's a slang term in America. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to find out how did you learn English in India, and what was that like? So India is a very interesting country because the income gap is absolutely humongous. There are people who are very, very modernized, who are very well off, and then there's a huge income gap, and there are people who are suffering a lot in poverty. I happen to be in the first category, nothing good or bad, super grateful. It's just what it is, it's life. So I grew up in, well, my parents sent me to a private school where English was my first language. And so even when I'm in India, I find it tough to give interviews in Hindi. So we have a term called Hinglish, which is a mix of Hindi and English, because my Hindi is, it's a bit broken. So English is my first language, and that's why I sing in English, because I write and I think in English. You're talking about the income gap being humongous, and you're sort of alluding to it. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, your father is a chairman of a very large company, and you said that your family is very industrial, and I think that's where the company exists in that space. Is that right? Yeah, my dad has a conglomerate. You know, while growing up, it was very tough for me because uh, I always felt like I was under a huge shadow. But as time has gone by, I take it more as, how do I explain it, more as a blessing to push me more to achieve my goals. My parents are super supportive and I think I'm beginning to make a mark of my own in this world. And maybe that's selfish, but it is what it is. And that's what I want to continue to do. Well, that's inspiring because it's one of the hardest things. We live in such a global society and we're so interconnected. And it only, in my opinion, furthers the drive for all of us as individuals to leave our mark on society. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. The vision that my dad has for the world is amazing. And the vision that I have for the legacy that I want to leave is different. But the one thing that my parents have always taught me is follow your dreams, never give up discipline, hard work, and the right values. That's what we stand for as a family, and that's something that I will always follow. So I think regardless of what field we are in or what career path we're taking, I think that's something that my family stands for. So regardless of what career path I'm in, these are a couple of things that I follow. And music is pretty much my life. It really is. If I'm not writing, I'm in studio. If I'm not in studio, I'm performing on stage. If I'm not performing on stage, I'm watching other people perform. Or I'm watching a documentary on someone like an icon like Amy Winehouse, for example. So it's just ingrained in my blood. It's absolutely amazing that I get to wake up every morning and have a career in something that I love to do because many people don't have that. I really am grateful and I appreciate that. Absolutely. And that's something that I've heard from a lot of the artists I've talked to from Mom Spaghetti Ananya is that feeling of gratitude, just being so grateful that not everyone is afforded the opportunity to live life the way that you guys are doing it. And not only are you guys doing it, but you're succeeding. I mean, you have such a large following. And like you said, no need to be humble. You've accomplished so much at such a young age. And I guess ultimately my point is just that I love talking to you guys and hearing how appreciative you are and it hasn't gone to your head or anything. That's really the point I'm trying to make. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. I think what I meant by the humble thing was just that one particular achievement. Otherwise, I am. I think I'm very harsh on myself. And I think that's really helped me because there's so much that I want to do, so much that I want to achieve. And there's a long way to go, but you know, giving up is never an option. Of course. It's a fine balance of you have to be your number one fan and you also have to be your harshest critic. <laughs> 100%. I can't agree with you, Monkeys. That's so accurate. Yeah. 
When you were talking about your father having a conglomerate and growing up, you said you felt like you were under a huge shadow. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because it leads into some of my other questions about how you started to get into music. Yeah, you know, like my surname in India is very iconic because my family was part of the independence movement with Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhiji as well. Actually, Gandhiji passed away in my home in Delhi, which is now, of course, the government has taken it over rightfully. So so my surname is a household name. So for people, there's been a shift now, but from people saying Ananya is her dad's daughter to saying, let's say in a picture, that's Ananya with her parents. Just a small shift like that makes me feel like, okay, I am creating a mark for myself. And I don't know whether that's selfish. It probably is. It's just so important for me to make a mark for myself in this world, given that I've been born in privilege. I totally appreciate that. And the way that you vocalized that sentence where you said there's a shift from there's her father with his family to there's Ananya with her parents. That's that's amazing. I love the way that you phrased that. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. I mean, it's just the truth. It is what it is. And there will be ups and downs. You know, success and failure is just part of the same coin. And it's really important to realize that you can't get affected by success or by failure. I know it's easier said than done, but it's never linear. There are many, many shades of gray. And I'm trying to be kinder on myself, but it's tough for me. It's so hard. (laughs) <laughs> it is. Yeah, I'm glad you get it. It's, it's very hard for me to balance my life because all I really know is music. So I'm trying. I'm trying to balance my life a bit more, but I just don't know much other than music. <laughs> I'm hearing a little bit of perfectionism in what you're saying. And it sort of sounds like you're a bit of a perfectionist. I think I'm trying to move away from that. I think the one thing that I truly stand by is being authentic to myself. Authentic is such a powerful word. It's one of the words that resonates with me. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it, Keith. I think it's just so important in so many ways. One is it keeps me happy. Two is fans and the audiences are very intelligent. They can see through it. And I think that's why in India, no one has ever sung in English. And everyone told me initially it's not going to be possible because it's completely Bollywood driven. And I said, hey, no, if I keep the lyrics simple and I have catchy beats and I'm authentic, everyone has the same emotions. So I don't see why it wouldn't work. And it worked. It definitely did. And so I think being authentic and talking about your experiences just the way they are, it's almost like you say so much through a song about your life and yet you don't say anything. I think that's really beautiful. And I think I've found strength in vulnerability. And that's why authenticity is so very important to me. You're hitting a lot of my buzzwords and the synapses in my brain are all firing off different questions. (laughs) So I'm trying to figure out how I want to structure it. I want to find out when you started with music. I remember you said that you were singing the Cranberries Zombie at a young age, (laughs) and that's clearly an image that's stuck in your head. But how did you get into music? And then how did you go from I am singing other people's songs to maybe I want to do this for myself? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So basically, it's a little bit of a long story, if you don't mind me saying all of it. I got time. (laughs) (laughs) My mom used to play a Kashmiri instrument called the Santur. And I was nine years old and I used to be like running around the place when she used to be learning with Master. Before you go any further, I looked up what a Santur was. Can you enlighten the audience who might not know what the Kashmiri Santur is? Totally. 
So the santoor is it's a string instrument. It's triangular in shape and you need to sit down and keep it on your lap and then you have two sticks and you basically need to hit the strings in the correct fashion for it to sound good. I think that's pretty much the best way that I can say it. Yeah, when I watched a video of it, it made me realize there aren't really any instruments that I can think of in the western world like it because, you know, the violin has the the um it's like a bow that you yeah. run along the chords and yeah. a guitar you pluck. But yeah. this is almost like a xylophone, but yeah, with exactly. strings. You know, exactly. I think that's a great analogy. So I think that really helped my ear because I started learning when I was nine. So that helped build my ear a lot. After that, I was part of the school band. I had a teacher who would make me go for these singing competitions, but I would never come first. I would always come second. Second's good. <laughs> I was like, I need to be number one. I don't know why. So that was a different thing that you know, while growing up, that happened. Then I got into poetry at a very young age as well. I think that's my way of expressing myself. When I'm writing my songs, my mom always says, "Can you please send it to me?" So she knows how I'm feeling. <laughs> oh, that's cute. And then she'd be like, "Okay, this makes sense. I know how you're feeling now. It's going to be okay." Or that's amazing that you're feeling this way. Keep going. So that's how I express myself. So it started with poetry, and then when I was in Oxford, I started learning how to play the guitar, and then eventually I started telling stories through my guitar. Poetry turned into songwriting. Now, even though the two are very similar, the two are actually also very different. It was a little bit of an organic process that I don't know how or why it happened. It just kind of happened. Tiaki's that was basically it. That's how I started writing my original stuff. When I dropped out, I had a bunch of things that I produced and I started pitching it around. How was the transition from learning the santor over to guitar? Was that easy or not at all? So on the guitar, I like playing on nylon strings just cuz I like the way it sounds. It's soft. I like a mix of actually, yeah, I prefer nylon strings because I love picking. I play with my fingers. I don't play with a pick. So I like hand picking. I would personally say, I don't know why, maybe because I learned it so young. I think the santoor is an easier instrument than the guitar just because of the bar chords and because of how fast you need to move your hands sometimes and the riffs and things like that. But some people would disagree with me. Some people would say no, the guitar is much easier. But I personally think that especially bar chords and moving from the majors to the minors, you know, stuff like that, the various riffs and the notes that you need to know. I personally think that the guitar is a tougher instrument. But because my ears were already a little bit trained from the santoor, I think it was easier for me to learn the guitar. After which I learned the piano because I realized that the piano is a little bit of an easier instrument to compose on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to me the piano is so straightforward. I used to play yeah. it. I don't play it anymore, but it's well, yeah, so it's like that. this key exactly. in this octave is right here. You don't have to do anything exactly. to manipulate it. I mean, you can push the pedal, but <laughs> other than that, it's always where it was. Yeah, I mean, the notes are easier as well. You know, it just goes C D E and then whatever keeps going on. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas on the guitar, it's a little bit more complicated. I know I'm getting technical, but in terms of actually getting the notes, I think the piano is better. In terms of getting the chords, personally, even though the piano sounds amazing, I prefer the guitar. So I just think each instrument does different things. I would call myself a santoor player, but I would not call myself a guitarist or a pianist, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I guess because of that last statement, I already have an inkling towards what the answer might be, Ananya. But do you ever write or produce any of the instrumentals to your tracks with piano or guitar? 
I do with the guitar because I'm a bit better at that. Not the riffs and all of that, but I do play live with my guitar. So I remember I performed circles on the guitar, just me and the guitar in front of about 40,000 people at... How many? 40,000 people. Four zero, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh um, my God. At a festival in India. That's the first time I did it and I can't do it in front of my parents and friends. More than my friends, my parents. <laughs> it's just absolutely freaky. But I had to prepare myself. So I remember I sat my dad down and I said, hey, I'm going to make mistakes. Please forgive my mistakes. But this is what I'm going to be performing tomorrow in front of 40,000 people. And performing that in front of my dad was so much freakier than performing in front of 40,000 people. And I think that really helps <laughs> to boost my confidence. And it sounds That's so, so strange. It's really funny. It sounds really strange. But for me to perform in front of people that I know and I truly love, even though I truly love my fans as well, it's just so much freakier. And so I had to take that step and be like, hey, dad, please sit down. Hey, mom, please sit down. And my dad has a great voice, even though his accent and the way he sings is in Hindi. He understands <laughs> notes and all of that. So he was like, hey, he calls me Anand or he calls me Sweetie. So he was like, hey, like, <laughs> Sweetie, like, you know, like that one note, I think you were a bit flat. And I was like, Dad, I know I'm making mistakes here and there, but I just need you to sit here so I build my confidence. So I remember he sat there for like two hours, like sang it five times, six times, seven times. Then the next day when I went on stage, I was just really into it. I forgot that there were so many people around me. I just felt like it was me singing the song to my best friend because I've written circles for my best friend. It was a really amazing experience. And so, yes, to answer your question, I played the guitar when I'm on stage just to give it an acoustic feeling. I have a vision for the production, but I don't do the production myself. That makes sense. I can steer it in a certain way. Like it can be like, of course, it depends on who the producer is. And normally they're so nice, but they're the best at what they do. But I always give my input saying, hey, maybe the percussion or, you know, whatever it may be. The strings are a bit too much or we need a little more bass, whatever it may be. So I give my input. And at the end of the day, it's what the producer thinks is best. But I think it's my duty as an artist to tell them what I think as well. Well, you have the ear for it and you have the vision. That's what it is. That's so what it is. you can use your ear to know whether or not it's aligning with what you want it to sound like exactly yeah I think that's what it is and of course I make mistakes along the way and the funny thing also I'm not I know I'm going off topic is hey go for it <laughs> <laughs> thank you most of the songs that I've released that I thought would not work have gone double platinum in India it's so funny because I've realized that my personal favorite songs of my own don't do that well, don't do that well. What's your favorite? I don't know whether you've heard Love Suicide, but that's my personal favorite song of mine. Okay, yes, I have heard that one. So yeah, that got a very niche audience together, but of course, Better and Meant to Be, Circles. So those two went down platinum and then Circles and Hold On went platinum and Living the Life as well. So yeah, it's interesting to see what the fans really like. And I was authentic to all of it, so it doesn't really harm me. As far as the story with your dad, which I think is kind of funny, but really relatable, I think, anecdote, I'm going to go off topic because sometimes I like to share a little bit of myself and my philosophy. Yeah, please. I have this belief that one time in a show, they said every situation can be boiled down to a one or a zero. It's either did it happen or did it not happen? Mm -hmm. Success is binary. And mm -hmm. I really like that because you either succeeded or you didn't. 
So I bring that up because I feel like there are circumstances in our lives that call for us in that scenario to become a one. Like as a human, we have to succeed. And so when you tell me that story about you performing in front of your dad, I know it's stressful, but I feel like you maybe took the anxiety or the excitement of the next day and placed it in that room and you went through everything that you had to. And at the same time, there there wasn't that back against the wall feeling that required you to get it perfectly with your dad. And then when you went on stage in front of 40,000 people, when you're on one, when you're, or when you're, when, when you're on one, yeah, when, no, you, you when you become that one, everything else kind of fades and you're a little bit on autopilot. And so I feel like that was to me. Thank you so much. Please. No, I think the way you've put it across is so perfect. It's exactly how I would have loved to say it. <laughs> no, that's fine. I... And yeah, that analogy of one and zero is really accurate as well. While we're talking about circles, you said that you wrote it for your best friend. And that was one of the ones that I wrote down some of the lyrics of been through everything. You've seen the worst of me. You never let me down. Pieces fell apart, but it never scarred. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to know without you, I'd be running in circles. Can you tell me a little yeah. bit more, maybe even about that friend, if there was an event that inspired yeah. you specifically to write circles? So Circles, actually, I went in a studio, it was 11pm at night, and the entire song came together in, believe it or not, 40 minutes. Of course, I'm talking about just the melody and the lyrics. I had to cut it later, and then I cut it again, so I was happy with it. This song is basically about my best friend, who's also my manager in India, which I'm super grateful for. If it wasn't for her, I mean, she keeps me stable. I'm an extremist by nature. And so she helps balance me out. We all need that friend. <laughs> yeah. And so that's pretty much it. I was just really saying, hey, I would be running in circles if it wasn't for you. I would be going crazy. But my favorite line from that song is because hurting is easier with you. And I think that right at the end. And that line just came to me naturally. And it means so much to me because I think it's a very powerful line. When hurting is easy with someone and you can be vulnerable with someone, that just says a lot to me. And hurting is really easy with my best friend, you know? I can say whatever I want to say. I can tell her about my boyfriends. I can, you know, whatever it may be, my parents, anything, my songs, my career. We are in this together. She shifted with me to Ellie as well. Is that Akshita? Is that who that yes, is? Yes, okay. yes, yes. I call her Lola. I would go crazy if she wasn't in my life. Uh, <laughs> How did you and Akshita get linked up or meet each other? It's a very interesting story. Let's go. <laughs> if you're comfortable sharing it, I don't want to put you on the spot. No, no, no. It's a very interesting story. It's nothing. I, I want to tell you. I want to hear it. So Keith, basically, yes, Ananya. we were in school together. She was a grade above me. And we knew each other, but we didn't you know, hang out or anything like that. This is the private school in Mumbai, right? Yes, yes, okay. yes. It's called Bombay International. Just TMI. And I don't know whether it happens here, but in India, we have like different houses in the school. So like there's a greenhouse, red house, blue house. And then we compete within the school for like sports day and drama and all of these things. It's just like trying to create a healthy competition. I don't know whether I agree with it or not, but that's the way it is. You went to Hogwarts. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I was in the green school, which happens to be Slytherin. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Wait, is it actually? 
no, no, it wasn't oh, called Sudhir, okay. but I was in the greenhouse. And she was in the greenhouse as well. Okay. We were running an 800 meter race and she was a little bit ahead of me and then I overtook her. And instead of being like, oh my God, I need to run faster. She was like, hey, Anand, like they all call me Anand, that's my pet name. She was like, hey, Anand, come on, you can do this for the house. It doesn't matter if it's you or me, you can do it. And at that time, I was like, okay, this girl is completely selfless and she's a keeper. That is what started our friendship. And so I have 800 tattoos on my body. It's inked on my body because that 800 meter race really changed my life. (laughs) Oh, that's great. And it's history ever since then. Mm -hmm. So it was just natural for you when you started your singing career to say, Lola, I need you. So she was in a coding, okay? And she says that she was really... Like computer coding, right? Yeah. She says she was really good at it, but I know she used to copy-paste shit. Like, I know it. (laughs) I know she used to copy-paste shit. I'm exposing her, but I just know it, okay? But but she's a very, very intelligent girl. She's very intelligent. I can't take that away from her. Who among us has not copy and pasted before? (laughs) That's true. That's true. And it's smart working, you know. But she was very hardworking, but she didn't like what she did at all. They say if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Well, yeah, no. yeah, keep it. I guess I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I like, to, I, I like to think about what I feel about that. Mom spaghetti listeners, do not listen to that. It's just a saying. Okay, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> She didn't like what she was doing and I needed a manager in India at that time because it was too tough being a manager and an artist. And I couldn't find a manager because no one had done this in India before with English music. No one really understood it, excepting Lola because she knows me so well and she knew all my dreams. So it was like starting from scratch. It was almost like a startup. It was about building a network. It was about getting there. You know, it was a lot of learning. It was a huge learning curve because no one's done it before. We sort of pioneered it in India. And I kind of just knew that she had that emotional equity that's required to do something that no one's done before. So I spoke to her about it and she was like, yeah, let's do this. It's pretty much history since. Wow, that's amazing. So I can't wait to watch the documentary in 10 years of Lola and Amara. Oh, that's kind. <laughs> <laughs> you got my name. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I don't know now anymore if I should call you Ananya or Anan. Either way, it's Anand is just my pet name. I don't even know why. It's such a strange thing, Anand. Like, it's just a is strange that not thing. Is common in India? No, no one called it. Anand is very strange. <laughs> I've never heard an Anand. I don't know why. I think, I don't know whether my mom started or my dad started it, but whoever started it, I don't even know what they were thinking. But everyone, <laughs> it's like a transition. Like, everyone calls me Ananya. But once we go beyond just being acquaintances or friends, then everyone starts calling me Anand. And it's just like, okay, <laughs> we're comfortable with each other now. So it's true. All right. Well, we'll see how I proceed for the rest of the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) When you were starting out and trying to figure out singing in English and all that, when exactly was that? Because I know you talked about maybe not really considering singing as a career and starting that until you got to University of Oxford in Mm -hmm. London. Yeah, just outside London. I released my first song in November 2016. This journey My professional career in singing has been about three and a bit years. Mm -hmm. When I came to LA before, I used to come to LA a lot after I dropped out. Everyone said that you need a story back home. When I went back home, everyone said you can't get in streams from India in English music because people are not English initiated and everyone just consumes Bollywood or Hindi music. But I didn't believe that. I said, everyone's emotions are the same. Like I told you, I just need to keep the lyrics simple, be true to who I am and put in some really interesting beats. And before we knew it, we were just able to do this in India. And now like we've racked up about 300 million streams. When I've come back to LA, now people are really beginning to see and I'm getting meetings with the right people. 
even though I'm already signed a major, you know, to go up that ladder further, getting some really interesting collaborations going, trying to get into the big league now. So it's almost like chapter two now, if you want to think about it like that. Yes. Yeah, that's where I am. Okay. That song that you released in 2016, was that the first song you wrote or did you have another song before that? Yeah, that's what I figured. So can you tell me the story of the first song that you ever wrote? Yeah. This is one of my favorite questions for artists. Yeah. So there are two songs that I can remember. The first one was called I Don't Want to Love, which one like I don't want to love if it's not you because I was going through a period of unrequited love for like five years. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. It taught me a lot. Now we're best friends, so it's good. Wow, that's growth. (laughs) Yeah, it was an amazing journey. That's the song that I made Universal hear, which made them say yes. Another song that I wrote at that time was called Spectator. And I remember I was sitting on the ledge with my legs inside, of course, in my home in London. And I was looking at people in Green Park, which is just opposite, just walk by doing their own thing. And I was like, all of them have a story. Every single one of them have a story. At that moment, I just felt like I was a spectator in this world. I know it's a little bit deep, but I just felt like my body is a tool and it's my soul that matters. And so that song is really close to my heart. It's called Spectator. I don't think I made anyone hear it except for Lola, I think. I don't think it's a very good song, but the concept is something that's close to my heart. So maybe I'll release it one day. I don't know. I would love to hear it. And I really like, you said, I know this is going deep and I love deep. I really like that concept for the song and that, like, I wouldn't call it an out-of-body experience, but I know the feeling that you're talking about. Yeah, thanks. It's almost like, I guess it's almost like, I don't even know how to put it into words. I'm sure you did a better job than I can right now on your song. No, it's just like, I felt like a spectator just looking at other people at that time. That's it. I just felt like I wasn't in myself or in my head overthinking like I usually do or like thinking about the past or the future. I was in the moment present being a spectator to what other people are doing. That's pretty much it. I know that you chose to write in English because you consider that to be your main language. Do you ever write in Hindi? Would you ever consider it or you're just sticking to English? I like putting together... The process of songwriting is one of my favorite things in the entire process. I think in English and so I write in English. Currently, it would be very, very tough for me to write a song in Hindi. However, if I can express a concept or something authentic that I have been through, I am going through or that I have seen that's impacted me to someone who writes in Hindi, I don't have an issue singing it. I would just have to really work on my accent and things like that, which I'm open to do. But currently, I'm not going to lie, I do not have the expertise to write in Hindi. Because like I told you, it's always been my second language. I find it tough to even give an interview in Hindi. There'll always be like half English in it. But yeah, I'm open to singing in any language. I truly think music is... I mean, Despacito was an example. I know what the song means because I'm in the industry, but people just used to sing it because it's so catchy. And I think that was just an example of how music is a universal language. It's pretty sexual, isn't it? Yeah, it's all about sex. <laughs> That's what I thought. I looked it up once and I think Despacito means like cute little one. And then the rest of the song is overtly sexual. Yeah. But Despacito is a fantastic example. And I talk about that on Mom Spaghetti too, Anand. When I play Spanish music or really any music that's not in English, because I play some K-pop too. And I'll just say to the listeners, I have no idea what they're saying, but I feel it and it sounds good. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm going to keep listening to it. And then we're kind of on the path, like I know we keep venturing off the path and I'm trying to keep it relatively linear. 
when you were talking about being at the University of Oxford and dropping out, I'm always so curious to find out what that process was like for you. I mean, you said it was overnight. Is that really how simple it was? Yeah, (laughs) it genuinely was like that. I just wrote a letter saying, I met with the master and said, hey, this is where I'm at. I was very honest. That's why I stand by honesty a lot. Honesty has never done me wrong. And he said, good luck. And my mom said she took two days to get over it. She still says that you need to complete your education one day, even if you're 60, which I agree with and I will. The thing that I thought was, hey, Anand, this is going to be either the best decision of your life or the worst decision of your life. And it just felt right. I can't like some things just feel right from within. I totally know what you mean. Yeah, I think you do, Keith. And now when people see what I've achieved in India, I feel a little bit better about the decision in a sense. Because Oxford will mean a very, very, very secure future. But I didn't see myself, I can't see myself in a nine-to-five job at an investment bank. With all due respect to what they do, because it's amazing. I personally can't do it. I guess that's why all the panic attacks and stuff started happening. I just couldn't see myself doing all of that stuff. It's a little bit of you see that life ahead of you and you think to yourself, I know I could do it. I just don't want to. Don't want to do it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you can have that thought for a while. And to me, the true catalyst is when you like sometimes something when you go through something substantial that shakes you up, you're like, oh, no, life is too short. That's what exactly I was about to say. Like sometimes there is an event and sometimes there's not. It's just you talked about overanalyzing and overthinking and that's me for sure. And I always think of these things like, not always, but sometimes, you know, it'll be orbiting around and then it'll be on that collision course with my current state of mind. And I'll say, I have one life. Like, why am I waiting to start a music podcast? Exactly. Exactly. So you said there was an event that led to that moment of clarity for you. Are you comfortable talking about that event? Yeah, it was just very strange things started happening. So I had this in my mind. And then I used to live in a cottage. I still have the cottage. It belongs to me in Oxford. I love it. I like to go there to songwrite sometimes. So it was really strange. But when I was gigging back in London, I got a call at 9 a.m. in the morning saying your cottage is on fire. And oh my God. I was like, how did that happen? And to this date, we have no idea how that happened. And it did happen. It wasn't it a did false happen. alarm. No, it did happen because the entire top floor was and a little bit of the bottom as well. It was completely like it was gone. To this date, even professionals, like the firefighters and everyone, they have no idea how that happened. They couldn't even find where the short circuit was if there was one. It was just absolutely insane. So I guess in my mind, I don't know if it's correct or wrong, small things like that built up and I kind of just figured that maybe these are signs. I don't know. I believe in that kind of shit. But more than anything else, it was just that I knew what I wanted to do. Right. And to some extent, there's it's almost like security is the worst thing that you can have because it gets you comfortable and you think, I have so much time to do this, if that makes sense. That's so true, Keith. Like I've never thought about it like that, but that's so, so true. Someone once said to me that privilege makes you paralyzed. I think it kind of is on the same lines of how you don't want to ever be in a very comfortable position because the only way to grow as a human being or as an artist is when you get out of your comfort zone. There are some crazy stories. Like when I was growing up, I had covered all the mirrors in my bathroom with newspapers because I couldn't see myself. I was in that bad of a state. 
This is before this was in high school. And now I am so confident in myself that I love photo shoots. I love music videos. I love being on stage. Of course, there are tough moments where you doubt yourself sometimes or you get insecure. Of course, we're all human. But my mom is so shocked about she's very she's very happy for me and she's very proud of me, which means so much. But she's absolutely like I don't think she's still quite processed the shift in me. I understand that. That was an example of getting out of my comfort zone. And I think that's also a huge game changer about how I pushed myself to get out of my comfort zone and to feel comfortable with the fact that people will say things, people may hate on you, people may love you, but you need to do what you want to do for yourself. And the people who genuinely love you for your music and your family and your friends will always love you unconditionally. And that's what we need to focus on. I think ache is the most powerful emotion in the world after which love, which are kind of interrelated. That makes sense. I'm so curious when you talk about covering up the mirrors with newspapers Mm. and then just becoming more comfortable with yourself and experiencing that growth into a young woman of Mm -hmm. self-confidence. And the way you talk is so poised and really embodies that self-confidence that you have. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. I mean, we're all on this journey together, Anand, and, you know, I'm proud of you and also look up oh, to you a little that bit. Means, that means so much. And I would think that there are some listeners out there. Can you maybe talk a little bit about, like, if you're even able to, because I know it might even be something that's hard to pinpoint through experiences or something, but how did you go from a shy and reserved person to this superstar performing in front of 40,000 people? The first thing I did was I hit the gym. (laughs) And I think more than the fact that it makes you look good eventually, makes you feel good. I think it's about how it releases serotonin and how it makes you just feel better about life as a whole. The second thing I did was I went into therapy, which really, really helped me come to terms with everything. And the third thing was if you really want something that badly, you just have to go for it. So you just have to make yourself vulnerable. And I know it's easier said than done. But if I could do it, anyone can do it. And if there's anyone out there listening, you are not alone. If you're going through a tough time, you are not alone. Even though it may seem like that, it always gets better. And my ethos for myself on a daily basis is that I always want to be the best version of myself. And I slack. I slack so much. Like I may go through an entire week of not going to the gym because I feel so shit about myself sometimes. Or I may go through a phase where I just can't write anything because my mind is so all over the place. But it's not about how many times we fall. It's about how many times we can get up after falling. And that's something that I've really learned over time. And it's really helped me in good stead. So yeah, I would like to say that to everyone listening. And I think one last thing I would like to say, which my parents have taught me, is that the only thing that we can do as human beings is try our best. So once we do that, it's so important to just let go because the outcome is really not in our hands. Once you try your best, it'll have to fall into place eventually. That is something that has taken a huge load off my shoulders because once I try my best, Yes, I can improve and I can continue trying my best. And my best may be more than my best eventually, if you know what I mean. My best can keep improving. But once I've done that, I don't have control over the outcome. So there's absolutely no point getting stressed out about it, even though I know it's easier said than done. And that has really helped me a lot. So I think the process of letting go is super important. And I think the practice of letting go, whether that is taking your favorite sneakers that you've been wearing for a year that you're really emotionally attached to and giving it to someone, you know, going on the streets and giving it to someone homeless. That is a process of letting go. Mm-hmm. When you practice small things like this, eventually it gets to a point where letting go becomes a little bit easier. 
I know I said a lot, but all of these things, no, I no, think, I love it. really helped me, Keith. I've got a long way to go, you know. There's so much I want to do and achieve, but like I told you, giving up is not an option. And this career is amazing. It comes with its liabilities. You know, I'm so far away from home when I really love my friends and family, but music is my life and there's no point doing anything else but what I love. And so it's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I love when some of these themes start to interweave into other parts of life that we're not talking about at the forefront, but it is there in the back. Like when you talk about going to the gym and doing our best and growth. I had a similar experience when going to the gym started to change my outlook on things because we live in such a physical world, in such a physical space. Totally. And to be able to either lift more weight or run another three minutes or anything like exactly, that over exactly. time is so, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, it's motivating. It's encouraging. Yeah. It's, it, it, oh, go ahead. No, I think it's just, it makes you feel like you can do it. And it's so tangible too. Exactly. That's great. Yeah. That's the word. And as far as letting go and going to the gym, do you do yoga? Because that's one of my favorite things. I don't know if you do yoga, but... Yeah, I do a little bit of yoga, but more than that, I practice mindfulness a lot. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of boxing, which really helps me because it takes all my emotions out and it helps me keep fit as well. Oh, I boxed for a few months earlier this year. It's amazing. I love it. Did you like it? <laughs> I did like it. I wanted it to be... I did it when my gym was closed and I wanted yeah. it to be something that I did not every day because I was going every day. Oh, that can be too much. Yeah. Keith, you overdid it, Keith. I overdid it. <laughs> no. Well, you know, when we talk about the growth and stuff, I remember at the beginning, kickboxing was my least favorite of the classes mm -hmm. that they taught. And by the end, I was looking forward to the kickboxing classes and I thought mm -hmm. the regular boxing was a little bit boring and not as workout intensive. We talk about tangible. I was like, at the beginning, I couldn't throw a roundhouse kick, and now I can. So, all right, now we're going into details, but <laughs> so, <laughs> as I want to transition away from, I mean, the music's always there, but you do so much outside of music, Anand. So, one of the things you mentioned was therapy, and I want to use that as the bridge for the mental health conversation because I know you are a part of Empower, and you talked about when you went through that decision-making process of going music full-time, you mentioned a little bit of a breakdown and an anxiety or panic attack. So we live in this society nowadays where, and I talk about it on Mom Spaghetti too, when a lot of artists now are talking, singing, rapping about mental health. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's a topic we are pushing into the mainstream and forcing to yeah. be a part of the conversation and have a place on the main stage. So I know that's not a question. That's more my commentary. I guess my question for you, oh, I Anand, get it, I get it. would be how do you, you've said the word vulnerable a few times mm -hmm. and that lumps in with authenticity. So how do you make sure that you're being the most authentic and vulnerable version of yourself? I think it's really about introspecting. I think we all truly know deep down how we're feeling. Either we're in denial, either it's too scary to say out loud, either we're scared of what other people may think. It's just about shedding those layers off. And that takes time. But that one thing that we know that we want to say or we feel, we just have to say it. Because that's when I personally have seen growth happening. That's personally where I have seen love coming in. Because people relate to this stuff. So whatever that is within us that we want to talk about, that we're scared to talk about, we have to talk about it. 
isn't it so weird that the stuff inside we're the most scared to share is usually the most common and shared experiences and feelings? It's so backwards and weird to me. Totally. And that's why as artists, when we do that, people connect with it because people feel like, oh, she feels it or he feels it as well, which means if I feel it, it's okay. I'm not alone. And that's what I want to do with my music as well. I want to, in some way, I want to say things that everyone feels, but no one says out loud because they're scared maybe. But everyone feels it. Or most people feel it. I don't want to generalize it, but most people. I think everyone feels it. People can be a denial. Yeah. And then the people who don't feel it turn off the interview at this point. (laughs) (laughs) This is a question that I love asking people in your position, Anand. It's like, because this is such a... It's not a new topic, but it's new at the forefront of conversation. I feel like there aren't really that many role models in our society. Mm -hmm. And it's this new generation of young artists pushing the conversation. Mm -hmm. So what or who inspires you to be this best version of yourself and share all that with people who you don't even know? Yeah. I think every single person in this world has something to offer. So whether that's someone new you go for dinner with, whether that's someone you bump into on the street, whether that's someone in the public eye. And everyone's human. So I don't think I expect one role model because no one's really perfect. Well, perfection is relative. But anyways, I think I try to pick out the best from people that I see and I try to learn from that. But if there was one person I had to talk about, I think it would be Eminem just because... Mom's spaghetti. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's amazing. He's just so honest. For example, a song like Mockingbird, right? In like, what, two and a half, three minutes, he tells his entire life story to Haley, who's his daughter, about everything in his life. And he just says it with so much heart. He just says it like it is. Absolutely. So when I was watching 8 Mile, and I actually watch it very often. I love that. Yeah, I love that film. At the very end, you probably remember in the rap battle, mm-hmm. he just disses himself. Yeah. Completely. So the opponent had nothing to say. Exactly. And that was just so beautiful, right? And so, yeah, I mean, I'm someone who I really look up to. Yeah, he says, all right, screw this battle. I don't want to win. I'm Audi. Here, tell these people something they don't know about me. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then he talks about his mom and living in mom's crib and all of that stuff. It's just amazing. Anand, you're talking to a huge Eminem fan. So and I'm over here singing Mockingbird in my head. I'm like, yeah, I know you miss your mom. (laughs) Yeah, I know you miss your mom and I know you miss your dad. I love that song. I just love it. Do you miss Slim Shady? Do I miss him? Like Slim Shady. Yeah, because that doesn't really exist anymore. I know. Well, the real Slim Shady, please stand up. When I think about Eminem, I miss his old music and who he was back then. But I also recognize that if those songs and those albums were released today in this culture... It wouldn't work. The word we use is canceled. He would be canceled immediately. He wouldn't have a career. Yeah, totally. So I think it's a very... Like the Eminem albums, those first three or four are Mm -hmm. such a great way to me of shedding light on where pop culture was in those years and how difficult it was for him to break into it. Yeah. I struggle. Like I miss it for sure. Yeah. But I don't. I was just curious to ask you, Keith. I was just. Oh, no, of course. I think I feel the same way about you because, for example, a song like River, which features Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. I really like that song as well. 
And then the song with Beyonce. I, I, I like that stuff. Yeah, the walk on water. Yeah. But I kind of do miss the old Slim Shady sometimes, not going to lie. But Bojason is absolutely correct. I agree with you. Well, to me, it's like that existed as such a encapsulated moment in time. Like it can't exist outside of that. And I don't know, I struggle because I can go back and appreciate it. And like when I listen to a song, my dad's gone crazy from the Eminem show. I remember mm-hmm. exactly where I was for the first mm-hmm. time when I heard that. And I was like 13 or something. I had yeah. no business. No, I was younger than that because that was 02. So I was like 11 and I had no business listening to that song. In week, I knew every word and I don't think I would want my kid listening to songs yeah, like that. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's so hard. They still do though, like Billy, for example, like Barry, a friend. It's so dark, yet it's so beautiful. And it's just pop culture. It's just the world that we live in. Everyone has access to everything. It's just, if a song makes you happy, if you relate with it, I think it's okay to listen to it. But yeah, I mean, the swearing and things like that. And if it gets really dark, I think I probably wouldn't want my kids to listen to that stuff as well. But, you know, I would give them the freedom to. We're going off topic, but I would no, give them the, the freedom there is to. No, I want to talk about what you want to talk about. I asked you also the Slim Shady thing because it's just amazing how we get attached to these artists in a way because they've impacted our lives so much. I mean, Eminem for a long time was my role model. He's my role model 100%. He still is. If I see him, I don't get starstruck at all, hand on heart. But if I see him, I will pass out. (laughs) I can guarantee you I will pass out. Before we created the logo for Mom's Spaghetti, because originally it was just a way of sharing music with my friends. And that was before other people found it. And I mean, the feedback has been tremendous. I love it. But yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Before any of that happened, the original logo was I went to see Eminem in 2014 because he was no the number one on my bucket list. Yes. Did you see him live? Yeah, I saw him live. I saw him with Rihanna, which was an amazing show. <gasps> Love the way you lie, part two. It's oh. one of my favorite songs. And you would think Love the Way You Lie, the original. I mean, it's really poppy, but it was also so good. And then they came out with part two and I was like, Damn, I thought that song could never get better, but it right. just did. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not crying, <laughs> but I'm like sitting there. I'm like, what? How did he do it? Yeah, How did they do it? It's so cool how we both love Eminem. I'm glad that I brought that up. I don't know why I did. I just did because you asked me a question and I just gave an honest answer. I love it. I still have so many more questions for you, Anna. And I'm like, maybe we should just start a spinoff podcast series, the two of us. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I know. I get sidetracked. And, you know, you talk about off topic. It's like my whole life all right so i went to that show in 2014 <laughs> isn't that all of us like all of our lives we just keep getting sidetracked and we just pull ourselves back. Yeah. yeah but the sidetracked parts are always the best stories and the best parts so i went to the show with my friend and one of the things i love about eminem he has two songs on the first studio album that some shady lp called just don't give a fuck and still don't give mm-hmm. a fuck And I always felt like that was his mentality, at least Mm -hmm. earlier on in his career. And I respected that so much. And I always wanted to be someone who didn't care what other people thought. I was going to do what I thought was the right thing and all that stuff. But I also have a little bit of the humor that Eminem has, or I like to think I do. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Other people are listening. They're like, you're not funny, Keith. Just keep going. No, I I, I can sense it. I can sense it. I truly can. (laughs) Thanks, Anand. So I was like, this might be the only time I ever see Eminem live. And Mm -hmm. I am such an Eminem head. I am a stan for sure. 
I'm a stan as well. I'm a massive stan. So I bleached my hair blonde no way. for the show. Yeah, I'll send you the picture. Oh yeah, I do that. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, I bleached my hair blonde. I put in a fake earring. I wore a fake chain. I was wearing a baggy white t-shirt and baggy jeans. No way. Yeah, I went the whole route. Oh, the best part, in my opinion, well, the best part was bleaching my hair. But the other best part was I bought like a pack of stickers for like, mm-hmm. hello, my name is because of his big song. Hi, yeah. my name is. So I wrote Slim Shady on it. Yeah, I'll send oh. you the picture. It's so good. But that was the logo until That's people so were cool. like, yeah, until people were like, what is this? Why am I listening to this? And I was like, okay, I guess this is bigger It's than so I cool thought. you say that. And it's so shocking and overwhelming. But when I'm on tour, I have people coming up to me, mainly men, I'm not going to lie, who come up and say, and I look at them and I'm like, something is strange. Like, And so I had dyed my hair pink for a while. And I'm like, something is strange. And they come up to me and said, they say, oh, we dyed our hair pink as well to look like you. Oh my and God. I, they're, like, they're like men coming up to me and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. And then people come up with tattoos with my name and my face and my songs. And so while growing up and even now, when I feel these things about Eminem, for example, and then when it's obviously not at the same level at all, but when it's actually happening to me when I'm on tour, or, you know, social media and things, it's almost like I'm shook. I just cannot fathom it. And I just feel so humble and grateful by the whole thing. And that's why I just think it's just all so worth it. Absolutely. I could go on and on about being grateful and whenever you feel like you have an impact, you're able to be reminded of why you're doing this. And it's such an amazing feeling. And it's one of my favorite things, like when somebody reaches out over Instagram or something and says, I love the podcast. I'm like, who are you? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. I wanted to make one more comment and then go back to the vulnerability and the mental health Mm because I did want to talk about Empower. You asked me about Eminem, and this is how I talk about it with a lot of artists, and Eminem's a great example. And I talk about it on Mom Spaghetti, too. I struggle with walking the line between you fall in love with an artist and you fall in love with their music, and that's the first stuff you find by them. There's a little bit of nostalgia and you remember like music's such a great way to remember times in your life and periods and things like that. And so you attach the significance to the early stuff that you first found from an artist. Then the artist has to grow. They can't make the same music over and over again or people would get bored. And so I as a fan struggle with part of me wants them to keep making the same type of music. But then I also cheer for them and want them to grow and experiment with new sounds and evolve and bring in new sounds into my world and stuff like that. And so I know it's so hard as an artist. And I'm just saying, like, it's so hard for me as a fan, too, because I'm like, nothing will ever top the Eminem show and Marshall Mathers LP. Yeah. But I don't want Eminem to remake that stuff, even though I kind of do. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. I completely know what you mean, Keith. We're on the same page. I completely understand that. Yeah. Those records will always be special. Changing gears, you have this, maybe attachment's the wrong word, but you place this importance on mental health. I know you said you started going to therapy. I wanted to just find out about Empower. That's the broadest question I could possibly ask, but I want to give you the floor, Anand, because mental health is so important and I would like to hear what you have to say about it and how Empower came to be. I think, you know, while I was going through everything that I was going through, I am so, so lucky to have a family and such amazing friends and best friends who truly understand me. 
for me, personally, there was no stigma attached. There was no discrimination. People didn't think that I was any less capable. However, there are so many people out there who do not have what I have. There are so many people out there who feel completely alone. There are so many people out there who are struggling with the stigma, who can't talk about what they're going through, whether that's anxiety, depression, or however severe the illness may be. I say two things. The first thing is mental health is as important as physical health, if not more. So it's really important to take care of the mind. And the second thing is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with going through a mental health issue. And, you know, I think it's all about self-care. And that's what we do with Empower. There are two legs. My mom is a certified psychologist. So she looks after, you know, people can walk in and I don't like to say patients really, but yeah, they can walk in. We have people who assess their issues and then they're different therapists. So they're, you know, just normal therapy, CBT, pet therapy, art therapy, psychiatrists. And now we have five centers in India and no one's done this before. So initially no one used to come in. Then 10 people started coming in. And now it's the main place to go if you're suffering from a mental health issue, which feels really nice. I come in from an uneducated point of view just as a survivor. And I'm not saying that in an intense way. I'm just saying it as a way in which I can tell people that, hey, I have been through it and I have gotten out of it stronger. You can as well. You're not alone. You were saying that you come in as someone who can relate to the people, right? Yeah, I can relate to the people and I can say, hey, I have gotten out of it stronger and you can as well. And then whatever opportunity I get, like if I'm on stage, for example, if I'm singing a song like Unstoppable, I talk about how important it is that no matter where you come from, what your background is, you are unstoppable. Whatever it may be. Or right now, as we are talking, you know, even if I take five minutes to just say you're not alone, you'll be okay. So given the platform that I'm creating with my music, that's one message that I really want to get across, which is mental health is as important as physical health. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with going through a mental health issue. It's just, I give this example a lot. It may be a little cliche, but if I fracture my hand, I need to go to a doctor because I can't write an exam possibly. If I am suffering from a massive depressive phase or anxiety, I can't go and write an exam. It's the absolute same thing. It's just because we can't really see it and it's invisible, it doesn't mean that it does not exist. I totally agree and I understand. And I think because I have been through it myself, and even though there were so many people around me and there are, it doesn't make it, it makes it much simpler, but the struggle is still your own. It's your own journey. So it kind of makes me cry sometimes even thinking about how tough it may be for people who are completely isolated and don't even have a single person around them. And it's very tough for caretakers as well. And, you know, I've heard caretakers saying you can snap out of it, just get out of bed, go for a shower, you'll feel better. But that's just not how it works. Like, for example, if you've got a fractured arm, you can't continuously move it. You need to be, you know, in a cast. Right. And you need to maybe go to rehab or... Exactly. Physiotherapy maybe after a while. Yes. To start to train it to get back to where it was. It's just exactly like that. But it takes a while to say this. And especially in India, the mentality that people have is that if you suffer from a mental illness, you are mad. Because there are images of people have people with crazy hair all over the place, banging walls, crying, you know, going crazy, attacking other people. But no matter what you're going through, most of it is silent. Mm -hmm. So every 40 seconds, someone commits suicide. Most of them are absolutely silent. Is that in the world? Yes, actually. That's the latest statistic that I read, which is absolutely appalling. So, yeah, anything that I can do to make that better, I will do. I get that. And you said your mom is a psychologist, right? Yeah, she is. 
Okay. Well, I guess it makes sense. And I think that's a really cool, cool seems like such a lame word, but it's such a... No, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Constructive, I guess maybe that's a better word, way to build not just a positive relationship with your mom, but also something bigger than yourself. And I'm just so in awe that you care enough and want to bring that to a culture and society that you think doesn't place enough importance on something as they should. No, I appreciate it. It's been a huge struggle for my mom. She got engaged when she was 16, married when she was 18. She completed her education in her 40s online because she wanted to become a psychologist. She really inspires me. She's a woman of substance. And I think even if I can be half of who she is, I would have achieved a lot in life. I'm lucky to have people around me who genuinely care about me and who listen to me and who give me the right advice. And trust me, none of these people are in the public eye at all. So no one even cares. I'm just Anand. Like, I'm just that girl in pajamas who stays at home. (laughs) But of course, they appreciate what I do and they'll be there at my shows and they'll encourage me when I need to dress up and look good. And, you know, they're proud of me, which I'm super grateful for. And they'll encourage me and they'll be like, hey, you look super hot in that picture. But at the end of the day, they know that I'm just a human being and I'm just, you know, I'm just like everyone else. I appreciate your efforts. And I was just going to make the comment really quickly. One of the best cliches out there is be the change you wish to see in the world. That was said by Gandhi. I love it when we connect the dots. I just love talking to you and hearing about your endeavors because you're really doing it. You know, it's not a dream. It's a reality. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about, Anand, was I know you also have another endeavor, I guess, to use that word again, Svatantra Microfin. Yeah, you've pronounced it so perfectly. I'm in awe. I'm trying. (laughs) Because even Indians can't pronounce it sometimes. They go like Svatantrata. So basically, Svatantra, I started when I was 17. And the basic aim is financial inclusion because the income gap in my country is so huge. And so I think the people who actually need the money don't get the money because they don't have a physical collateral to provide to the banks. It's just a system. I don't blame the banks. It's just how it is. And that's where we come in. We lend money to them. That's where we don't require them to give a physical collateral. We work with something called a social collateral. Because for people like them, being ostracized in society is a lot more than losing a bicycle, for example. It's very technical, which I don't want to get into currently because it can get boring. We can talk about it later on, whenever, but... In the next episode of Keith and Anand. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The basic idea is to give macro loans to make a macro difference to someone's life. There's an interest rate, they pay us principal and interest. So we're not helping them. We're just trying to ensure that we can push them into the banking system so that they can get what they require. What we provide to them as a loan has to be used as working capital for their businesses because that's how they'll be able to generate more money to repay us. So now we're sort of moving a little bit more into fintech using technology in a massive way. I just bought over a company which is into micro housing so people can build their own houses. So the entire idea is that someone in semi-urban or rural India can come to us and we can provide the entire package, whether that is insurance, whether that is a home loan, education loan for their kids or for themselves maybe, whether that's working capital for their businesses, whether that is financial education, financial training, opening a bank account for them, whatever it may be. It's a one-stop shop. It's super profitable. We've just touched a billion dollars and I'm shocked because... Wow, congrats. Thank you. I still remember trying to find my first client. I used to come home crying because no one would take me seriously, which is fair enough. I was 17. I couldn't even be on the board of the company. Look at you trying to break the mold in everywhere. You're like, no one sings in English in India, but I did it. 
No one would talk to me when I was 17, but I just broke a billion dollars. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I try not to overthink about it. I think I just put all of those things in a box in my head. I've got like different drawers in my head and then I open a drawer and I <laughs> put it in and then I close the drawer again. It's like different boxes, you know? Yeah. Compartmentalized. It was what I call it. I would go insane otherwise. I would go insane. For Svatantra, what's the most interesting thing you've learned in this whole experience? I've learned how crazy it is and how relative the world is. So, for example, a gene that one of us buys, that same amount can actually change a woman's life in rural India completely. That doesn't make anything good or bad. It's just how crazily relative this world is. Yeah. So, for example, 10,000 rupees is uh, $100. I'm just rounding it off. Right. But just imagine $100 for us and then imagine lending $100 to someone else and changing their entire lives where they can continue with their business, they can increase their income, they can send their children to school, they can take care of their husbands, they can get electricity, they can actually live a lifestyle and a life with less struggle. So I've learned that everything is relative. One more thing I've learned is when I especially go to these areas is they are so happy And so materialistic pleasures really never brought anyone true happiness. You know, initially I used to travel four hours back and forth when I was setting up this business. And just being in that area would just make me happy. Even though there was no electricity, there was no cooking gas, the sanitary was not good at all. People didn't have proper clothes to wear, stuff like that. But they were just so happy in their world. And that's something that I really, really learned from massively. And I think I'm going to start practicing minimalism. But don't hold me on that because I love my sneakers. (laughs) Is there a way that the listeners of Mom Spaghetti can donate to Empower or Svatantra that I can plug in your episode? That is so kind. I think the most important thing personally for me would be Because the businesses are set in that way, they're just investors. But I think the most important thing would be if they can just check out our websites and just spread the word, join the movement of Empower and, you know, try to stamp out the stigma. I think that's really what's the most important thing right now. You can go to ananyabirla.com and check everything out there. All the details are there. My social handles. So on Instagram, it's at ananya underscore birla. Twitter is the same. Facebook is ananya birla official. You can catch my music anywhere because that's my life and that's what I do. (laughs) Yes. And I heard you say it and I knew for, I think I knew from some preliminary research, but I just want to make sure. Svatantra, when you are giving out these loans and helping people in rural areas start businesses, that's entirely aimed at helping women, correct? So it's really strange. I'm a true believer in equality. So I started with women and men because all the other competitors would only give to women. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to give to men and women. But eventually I realized that the men, when you give money to men, when you lend to them, the money doesn't go into the household. Again, I'm not generalizing it, but I would say 90% and they migrate a lot. So it's very tough to get the money back from them. And so, yes, I started lending only to women after I learned that. So I tried to reinvent the wheel, but I didn't succeed. And that's when I learned that you don't always have to change things around. Sometimes things are fixed the way they are. Mm -hmm. And like you said, sometimes you have to let go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very well said. (laughs) I'm stealing your words. I'm so curious. One more thing. 
for anyone who's looking to get into that world of microfinance or really just helping society and community service, do you have one piece of advice that you've learned from all of these endeavors that you have? I think you need to know the why of what you're doing really, really strongly within the core of your soul. Because the what can be dealt with, the how can be dealt with, the when can be dealt with. But if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, it'll be very, very tough to push yourself. Because it does take an extra mile. It does come with loads of compromises. It does come with a lot of hard work. And this is not just in business. This is in music more so, actually. This means compromise from your friends and family, less time spent with them, loads of hard work, getting out of your comfort zone, you know, learning a lot, making your own mistakes. So you really need to know the why and what your vision really is. You need to have a very clear vision and then you just need to keep going and just knowing that giving up is not an option. So of course have plan B because that's important in life, but don't give up on plan A very easily. Mm -hmm. As far as plan A, you're living it, Anand, and we love it. So I want to make sure I get a chance to ask for the listeners of Mom Spaghetti and the lovers of your music and the future fans, what's next for you? So there's a lot of fun stuff coming up. Since I've moved to LA, I'm in the big league now. It's about climbing the ladder. My sound has actually changed a lot. So even though it's pop, it's more alternative pop. And I'm super excited for the world to listen to that sound. I'm still refining it. I'm in studio every day with different producers currently, different writers, putting my thoughts out there, being very authentic with myself, almost to a point of being criminal, very, very honest. Just getting my stuff out there and really, really having an entire plan in place before I really release something through a major. Getting management, getting an attorney who's good is so important, like everyone says. So putting everything together, really. And uh, I think the next six months, there'll be some good stuff out there. Well, I can't wait. And I'm curious, even though I think I might know the answer, if you could collaborate with one artist. Eminem. Okay, I'm just making sure. But it's just a far-fetched dream. Like, I don't even, I mean, if it happens, it'll just be like a bonus to life. When I meet him, I'm going to tell him that you need to get on one of oh his Oh my hooks. God, yeah. Please, can you do that? Oh, That's absolutely. one thing. I never ask for any favors, but I'm going to ask for that favor. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons I always ask because I'm a huge believer in speaking it into existence. So yeah, I always universe. say like, oh my God, yes, yeah. When I meet Eminem instead of if, it's when. And I love asking that question because I'm like, hey, if I can get two artists who want to work together in the studio, I don't even have to be there. I mean, I'd love to be, but... Um, no, you got to be there. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll tell you guys how it sounds. I know it's going to be Amazing. some fire though. <laughs> It will happen. It is happening. Yes. Let's manifest it into the universe. It's already out there. We'll make it it's happen. It's out there. 100%. Anand, one more question for you and then one request of you. So the question is the signature question and the request will just be to help close out your episode. The signature question for Mom Spaghetti is if someone gifted you a vinyl record player and enough cash, whether in dollars or rupees, to buy your first five vinyl records, your first five albums to start the collection, what would be those first five albums on vinyl? Ooh, that's really tough. I think Eminem's first three albums for sure. All three? All three. I love it. This sounds very random and strange, but Good Girl Gone Bad by Rihanna had a huge influence on me. Oh, so good. So I would get that. And then probably Nirvana. Love it. 
maybe the Beatles as well. I think Five is actually. Can I just name five artists? Maybe. Yeah, go for it. Okay, Eminem, Nirvana, Khalid. Oh, love it. XXX. Tentacion, right? Yes, and a mix of Rihanna and Beyonce. How about that? Love it. I think XXX has an album coming out tomorrow. Does he? He passed away like a year ago. I know. I could be wrong, but that's why I read it. He released a song last week, and I played it on today's episode. Maybe it's like old stuff that he's released. Yeah, but yeah, I love yeah, of that. course. I love sad. I love changes. I just love his music. It's just so from the heart. It just makes me cry. There are two more artists that I want to talk. Well, one more artist really. There is this guy called Dermot Kennedy. Yeah. So the song Outnumbered. When I heard it the first time, I cried. I bawled my eyes out. That one song just really impacted me. Okay, so I have one more request of you, Anand. Yeah, okay. Should I do it right now? Whenever you are ready. Okay, let's try. Hey guys, this is Ananya Birla. Thanks for listening to the Mom Spaghetti Podcast with Keith, where everyone just eats. Hey, everyone just eats. I love it. Can I do it again? Yeah, let's do one more because then I can choose. Okay. It's just everyone eats, not everyone just eats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. sorry i don't know why i did that no it's okay (laughs) (laughs) okay thanks for listening to the mom spaghetti podcast with keith where everyone eats yes thank you so much that's pretty much it the only other thing i'm assuming you're familiar with the term throwback thursday Yeah, 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 I am, of course. Okay, so the way that each episode starts is with the instrumental of a throwback song that you choose, Mm -hmm. and then the outro of the episode, you know, where I'll play what you just said and the albums that you talked about, Mm -hmm. I'll play that over the real thing. So because I have worked with Sean Kingston, I would say fire burning on the dance floor. Yes. Okay. Actually, I wanted to say to you, so this is perfect. Today's episode, the guy who chose the throwback song chose Beautiful Girls. I was about to say Beautiful Girls because that was my only caller tune before my own song because I promote my own song when people call. But I love Beautiful Girls as well. But I thought I'd pick a more up-tempo song where he doesn't say he feels suicidal. (laughs) God. I mean, I'm laughing mostly because yes, and also it was slightly comical in regard to (laughs) our conversation that we just I know because of mental health. So I thought I'd just... But honestly, my favorite song that I've written is called Love Suicide, which is terrible. (laughs) But if you hear the entire song, it's in perspective. Right, right, right. The last thing before I cut the tape and whatever is if you want to introduce Fire Burning to the audience, I can play that. Um, If you don't want to, it's totally fine. Cool. Let me try. Hey, so this is Fire Burning on the Dance Floor by Sean Kingston. It's one of my favorite songs anyway, but I just worked with Sean on my own song, which he featured on. So Sean is very special. He's like a brother. And so, yeah, this is Fire Burning on the Dance Floor and it's an amazing song. So enjoy it. Oh, that was amazing. That was so genuine and your word, authentic. I love it. Cool. Anand, this was so amazing. I'm so grateful that you spent so much time talking to me and coming on to the Mom Spaghetti podcast. I can't wait to show everyone your music and also your personality and how grateful, selfless, and authentic of a person you are. So Anand from Mom Spaghetti and Keith Cohen, thank you so much for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Firstly, thank you for calling me Anand. That means a lot. (laughs) 
Secondly, I love the name Mom Spaghetti. And third, it was so enjoyable to talk to you, Keith, that I didn't even realize that we've been talking for almost two hours. So thank you so much for giving me your time. Thank you so much for encouraging me with my music. Thank you so much for wanting to know more about my DNA and for really delving deep and not just asking surface questions. I really appreciate it. And we are going to be in studio with Eminem. Yes, so I, hope to see I you can't there. wait. Thanks for tuning in, fans of Mom Spaghetti and Ananya Burla alike. Isn't she amazing? Yeah, we were so lucky to have had her on. Anyway, new episodes of Mom Spaghetti drop every Thursday, so I'll be back then. As for Anan, we're still spinning her music in 2020 and can't wait for more great stuff from such a great person. Until then, one more reminder to hit that subscribe button. I'm Keith Cohen, your host of Mom Spaghetti. One more statement of huge appreciation to Anan for coming on the show, and of course to you, the listeners. <laughs>